once again into the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Barretos. This is episode 87. As always, a reminder to rate, review, download, and subscribe, and tell a friend. Tell that friend. Check out the entire library of episodes here anytime where all podcasts are available. We love to have you. We're getting ready towards the World Cup. Some exciting details with regards to that. This week, we do have the U.S. Open Cup. So, bringing in the man who is the general manager and president of the darlings of the U.S. Open Cup for really the last 20 years, and it's Todd Donovan of the Sacramento Republic. Sacramento's gone through a whole lot. They had their MLS plans dashed, and now they have this with a chance to go to the CONCACAF Champions League. It's an incredible story. We'll talk to Todd, great player in his day. Got to call his games as well, so it'll be good catching up with him. Looking forward to that. Should be a good conversation. In the stoppage time segment, we will look at the next big thing coming out of the United States men's national team. I have identified a new best player in our group. Check out for that, and we'll also see how Leeds gets better. Hitting a bad patch, as they say. So certainly they look to move upwards and onwards. A lot to discuss. It was a huge week. Rivalry games. We got the Open Cup. We got the Champions League. So let's get going. The always popular bridge segment, which I'm going to get a lot off my chest here. VAR, an ugly expression. In England, we had uh, obviously the West Ham game, which affected me. Max Cornet with his incredible goal, disallowed because of a brushing of Jared Bowen on uh, Mendy in goal for Chelsea. Was it a foul? I guess it's just what they review, right? I think that's what the problem we're having. Um, the uh, Arsenal goal with Martinelli, which was disallowed because there was some contact by Martin Odegaard way back. I, if we're going way back and we see something, it's like... Was it a foul? Sure. But are we going to review this and take away these goals? It is, it's, it's so against the grain. It is anti-football. We have got to stick with VAR with regards to the Newcastle call, where there was a bang in front and then it came out and they took it away. I mean, it is a physical sport, isn't it? All these examples show some physicality that should let go. And if you see it, Without the naked eye, you, you've got to let these plays go. VAR has to look at clear offsides, first-generation offsides, not from a minute earlier that may have taken away the sequence. Handballs, clear-cut goal-scoring opportunities, that's what should be reviewed. Let's stop doing this backtracking, and if there's something that you are not completely convinced upon, don't change the call. It was brutal. It was brutal, certainly. On a brighter note... Manchester United, I told people, people were burying them after they lost to Brentford. Look, Brentford's scoring five goal games all the time, right? I figured Eric Ten Hag would figure this out, and he has. They have thrown money at it. They have brought in a lot of good players. You look at Anthony makes his debut. He scores a goal. Uh, Lisandro Martinez certainly gelling as a really good defender. And that was another thing that was really unsavory. All these short man jokes for Martinez. I mean, they were funny. (laughs) There were some that were funny, but it was like beyond the pale. So uh, I don't think we should should go there anymore. And and we're just relaxed. Manchester United is going to finish in the top four. 
There was an interesting tweet um, from Mark Ogden, who covers Manchester United thoroughly. I worked with him a little bit at ESPN. He said, 10 Hogs impact on United already obvious. Studies everything from technical area. I guess he could notice that from where he was sitting. Subs at the right time. That's pretty concrete. You can see who he brings in and when he brings them in and why it makes a difference. That's a, a skill set. Reacts to tactical changes by opposition. Ooh, I like that one. Sees what the team is doing. It doesn't, doesn't go old-fashioned and say, this is the way we play and we're not changing. Sometimes you got to adjust. Because everyone's trying to get an edge. And these managers in the Premier League are very good. Mikel Arteta is one of them. And Eric Ten Hag noticed it. And then he says, pressures the officials. Okay. From my view, everyone pressures the officials in the Premier League, right? I mean, everyone's on them. Jesse Marsh got in trouble this week because of that. We'll talk about Leeds a little bit later in stoppage time. And then finally, he says, Sulkshar did none of the above. (laughs) I thought this was great for Mark, except the shot at Sulkshar. Everyone's taking digs. So uh, you're always going to be compared to that. I I get it, and I think that list is, is generally fair. I don't know about studies everything from the technical area. That is... How do you validate that? But everything else, the subs, the adjustments, pressuring the officials, you'll see that clear as day. Sure. Doesn't mean that Solskjaer's um, means of doing it were wrong, although in hindsight it looks like they were wrong. But just because a guy's a little more chill, just because he's not working the referees, and maybe he feels his team is good enough that they can overcome these adjustments, then we shouldn't be critical. But Solskjaer didn't get the results. Ten Hag... Looks like he's doing it. Taskmaster guy. You know, no sex, no this, no drinking. It's not going to be a lot of fun, but uh, it's Manchester United. You want to wear that shirt, you got to make some sacrifices. Uh, That was a big win for them. They've won four in a row. And Manchester United, I think they're better than Arsenal. I think they're better than Spurs. I think depending on how Liverpool gels, they could certainly push them as well. I think Man City's obviously out of sight. And Chelsea, I think they're better too as well as, as them right now also so it's going to be very tight but I think Manchester United gets back into those Champions League spots we uh, we had the Derby de la Madonina we had the old firm so two big rivalry games you could say the two biggest so what are the big rivalry games Derby de la Madonina Milan Inter old firm Celtic Rangers River Boca Real Madrid Barcelona Liverpool Manchester United there are others but those are the big ones but I always tell this to people and look, the Serie A still has a long way to go. They have a lot of work. They need to have some teams succeed in the Champions League. I, I didn't really like all the crop of new players that came in. It paled in comparison to what happened in Barcelona, Real Madrid, and then throughout the Premier League and PSG and those kind of clubs. It wasn't, it wasn't as sexy as it, it, it should be, but then the Serie A are not quite there yet. Make, they're making progress. They're making progress. And there are some great players Certainly there. And we saw them in the 3-2 victory for Milan over Inter. So, um, Rafael Leal, you, wow, what a, one of the better young players anywhere. Uh, he was able to get his goals. Lautaro Martinez, I think, is a guy who classifies that as well, although he didn't score. But to my point about this, when we look at rivalries and we just say which one's the best, the best one is, and again, I don't have a, a dog in the fight here. The best one is the Darby de la Madonina. You look at the history, you look at the fact they're both in the same city, you look at the fact they both play in the same stadium. This is it. 
it, rivalries are about locality, right? Rivalries are about proximity. And the one that River Boca and Celtic Rangers do have that, but they don't play in the same stadium. Manchester United, Liverpool are very close, but not that close. They're two different cities. And then same could be said for Real Madrid, Barcelona, which I, I just don't think you put that one in with the other four. That is just a result of those two clubs being superior. And I know I've left a few out there. But, you know, I get in arguments with you. I, and I, I, I'm convinced I've won this one because, you know, I've actually been to a couple games. I lived in Milan in my modeling days back in... That's right, I, I dabbled in modeling. And it's an incredible city with the design and the garment districts and all that stuff. But football is that... I, and if it gets better, that is the best rivalry. So fantastic from there as well. So... Um, Celtic crushed Rangers. We're going to see both of them in the. We're going to see both of them in the Champions League this week. Champions League begins. Some good games. Uh, I'm pretty sure what's going to happen at the end, right? I mean, what one of the games that stick out for us in the Champions League? So Tuesday, Wednesday, the Tuesday games. Inter Bayern. Uh, this is a great chance for. We talked about those Serie A teams to. See if they can puff their chests out. Inter-Bayern should be a, a good litmus test. And Bayern hasn't been playing well in the Bundesliga in the last two weeks. They really haven't. Napoli-Liverpool. Very interesting. The losing finalists looking to get off to a good start. And that's about it. Ajax-Rangers and Tottenham-Marseille should be interesting. But those aren't games that you're going to, at this early stage, you're going to flip your lid over. You then have... Uh, an interesting part of me. Those are the Wednesday games. The, the Tuesday games. I have this all wrong. Uh, the uh, let's get back. The Wednesday games feature. I got I got a Leverkusen Atletico. These are I'm plopping them all in together. But it's a good it's a good opening. It's a good opening start. Man City Dortmund. Juventus Benfica. The Premier League teams certainly look to flex their muscles and they're going to be there. So enjoy it. It's here. Everything's happening. And we're going to squeeze a lot in here before we uh, we, get, we pause for the World Cup. So um, a lot there. A big weekend here. We'll talk about the U.S. players here in stoppage time. Did want to let you guys know. Took the family out. Drove up, the, up to Central California. Just east of Fresno is the Sequoia National Park and Kings Canyon National Park. Had a blast there with my family. Saw the uh, Sequoia trees. It's like going to Jurassic Park. You go up higher altitude, everything turns kind of green. We have had a we've had a huge drought here, so it could be a lot greener, but still the green trees and spectacular visuals. And then in Kings Canyon, you you kind of go along the river, you can jump in the ocean there and there's caverns and it's it's a great thing. It's so close to Los Angeles, so I'm glad I got out there. Feel refreshed. Feel like my brain's cleared and ready to get going because we're going to be busy here on the Soccer OG. Rate, review, download, subscribe, tell a friend. Coming up next, it's the business and Todd Donovan, GM and president of Sacramento Republic, getting ready for the U.S. Open Cup. Welcome back here to the Soccer OG. We're into the business end, as you may know. This week, the U.S. Open Cup final. It's a final unlike one we have really seen in 20 years as a USL team, Sacramento Republic, have made the final. Shock in the field 
and they'll take on Orlando City, which is also a good story because they're looking for their first major trophy since coming into existence, at least in the MLS form, in 2015. But we're talking Sacramento. And for that, there's no better person than Todd Donovan, general manager. You're general manager slash prez, correct? That's correct. Last I checked. <laughs> just keep heaping, just keep heaping on titles. You'll be Mr. Sacktown. <laughs> no, it's good to be here, Max. It's been too long. Uh, yeah, I think it's been a few years since since we've caught up. So I'm I'm excited to chat. I well, I covered I, I covered your games when you were at the Galaxy, and we'd have those conversations. And this is now we're talking 15, 16 years ago, and you always get the impression this is something. I don't know whether it be a coach or an administrator or someone in the front office that this was something. I got that impression. Was that something you? always saw was it, how early did you start to think that this was something was it even was it even in your playing days that you thought this could be the next step in your career took me a while it took me a while I didn't know what you know it was the scariest thing for an athlete is what comes afterwards uh and that was no different for me I was trying to figure out what made sense where I fit into the world and um you know it did take me towards the latter part of my career when I realized hey like I love this game and you know ultimately I realized why I love the game too and the team aspect and being part of a team, uh, you know, going into the front office side uh, is really, you're able to still have that and you're able to shape the team. And, um, you know, those dynamics don't are so interesting and there's so much you can add on that front, you know, even when you're done playing, maybe even more so in some ways. So that part, you know, it took me a minute to figure out, but uh, I've absolutely loved it. And, um you know, don't, you know, I still get all the competitive juices out. Everything, you know, can still flow, at least according to my, my wife. She's, she knows I'm one of the more competitive people and I have to tone it down a little bit with her sometimes, but um, she knows that uh, this still kind of fuels the fire. I think a lot of people think that when something like this happens, where you get a position like this, this is a lot of responsibility. I mean, you're overseeing the day-to-day, -day, the club, the acquisitions, you name it. Uh, and it's all under your umbrella. And, you know, that's, that requires, you know, knowledge of law, all this stuff. I mean, all the wherewithal. So how, I mean, I know we know you're a Stanford guy, but I don't want to just say, Hey, you went to Stanford and this, you used to be ready, but you had to do a lot of homework. I would imagine to be I able mean, to pivot. Yeah. You, and it never stops by the way. Like I learned something new every single day. And I think that's the, key to it is you, you don't ever figure it out you're gonna be you know presented new challenges all the time I think one thing that I've you know enjoyed is just having the you wake up in the morning you don't know exactly how the day's gonna go you might have your schedule and you might have a, a rough idea but because you're dealing with people and that's ultimately I say this all the time this is kind of we're in the people business like it happens to be sports it happens to be soccer but really the key to success in this role and, you know, with the club is, is being able to deal with people and manage people. And my job is really to get the best ingredients possible and then to try to maximize them once they're here. I think those are the, that's what it boils down to. Well, you've done a nice job. The U S open cup final, you're up there. I, I was like third or fourth in the West USL. You'll be a team that's going to compete to win that trophy as well. By the way, it was, it, I didn't want to gloss over it, but I found that was very interesting. And I, I think the public forgets that a lot. And now that I, I work for LAFC and I cover the team and you see guys that you would watch when they were 28, 29, and then they're getting to 33 and then it hits you. I go, he's going to, the end of his career is coming soon. And he's 34 or 33, maybe a little older, maybe younger. And that's very young 
to have completed <laughs> what you've always <laughs> to dreamt retire. about to retire. Yeah. And now, I mean, none of us have to do that. For I can look at from my perspective, like I'm in broadcasting. Maybe one day I'll have to retire because I've, I'm getting too old. I'm getting old. I don't want to tell you how old. I'm a lot older than you, Todd. Stop. So leave it. Stop that. it, Max. Stop it. <laughs> but we, you know, one day you, you have to think about it, but it's a long time. But the athletes, that has to be terrifying to, uh, to scramble and say, okay, this is my last year playing. And go, what am I going to do next? Because you, in many ways, you're starting, you're not starting from scratch, but it, in some ways you are because it's a new path that you're taking and you know you're going to have to go almost to a much lower rung than you were as a player. So I, yeah. I, we don't think about that enough, but I mean, do you guys, the athletes have to talk about that and they have to be scared because of they have families. Now they have to find out how they, they get a paycheck, pay their mortgage moving forward. Because all that, all that MLS money is not going to last forever, Todd. No, no, it doesn't. Mine, uh, mine lasted a couple of weeks, and then I had to get get back to it. Um, no, it, it, you're right. Like that is the scary thing. Uh, and you know, on some level, all you have ever known is, and what your identity, you know, primarily has come from, is being an athlete and being really good at a sport. And I think what I figured out after you know a little while was just trying new things and having confidence to do something outside of the game. So for me, that was being involved in, um, you know, the collective bargaining agreement with the players union, you know, getting experience doing things outside of the field in the business of soccer, where you're now in the room with the commissioner and, you know, league executives and owners and, you know, in a completely different sphere and you're actually in politics at that point because you're dealing with all the other teams and captains of every team in the league and uh, you know all these egos and you know trying to get that and in, in going in the same direction it was an incredible experience to go through i think two different collective bargaining agreements that was huge for me and then you know i dabbled in some real estate uh with some buddies uh starting a real estate company on the side like towards the end of my career but you know now i'm at that point I was doing, you know, some phone calls with banks and just all these things that you're just never used to doing. And it gave me confidence to know, Hey, I can do other things. And, um, you know, maybe that works out, maybe it doesn't, but at the end of the day, uh, what I try to tell, you know, current players and guys who are going through this now, cause I know how hard that is just get experience, get confidence, doing anything, anything away from the game, even if it's within the game, you know, if it's coaching, if it's, uh, you name it, you put yourself in kind of a new environment, try something new and kind of break out of that shell. Because even though you, you're a, you know, quote unquote, only an athlete, uh, you've actually got a ton of skills, um, you know, that transfer into whatever you're going to do when you talk about working on a team, uh, working, you know, being a good teammate, uh, you know, work ethic, uh, having, you know, reaching that level, that, you know, there's something inner, there's an inner strength there. There's an inner drive that, you know, quite frankly, is valuable in whatever you're going to do in the rest of your life. That's great advice. But I would imagine if I was a player and, you know, you're, you're doing well and you're just focused on playing. It's hard to, it's hard to already think about that, but it, you've got to really take that at face value. And being a player, you have these advantages and you develop these relationships. Like you said, you, you talk to the commissioner, you talk to, guys are going to become coaches or administrators or get into business, whatever it might be. Uh, you have that at your fingertips, but uh, it's an interesting conversation because uh, it's, it's not fair. Many people pick their career field and they have it for 30, 40, hopefully that long. 
Uh, but as a player's wheel, unless something crazy happens, the cryogenics or something, you can play into your 50s and 60s. The science is incredible, Todd. So maybe one day, maybe we won't have to, work, we won't have to have this conversation. <laughs> yeah, I missed that boat, whatever, whatever the heck came. I, I, it's too late for me. It's okay, though. Cryogenically freeze your brain, put it aside, bring it back, your legs, whatever it is. If you're a goalkeeper, your hands, you name it. So uh, I'm up uh, for it. I'm up I, for it. <laughs> Let's talk U.S. Open Cup Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern time. It's on ESPN Plus. I got to call a couple games here. It's a tournament that's near and dear to me. I, I think the first time I traveled to call a game, he's always do. I always worked at Fox, and we would do it out of the studios. First time I traveled was Open Cup games. It was some Galaxy games, and then it was uh, uh, some Sounders finals I did on Fox. So I, I love the competition, and this year feels a lot more special because of what you have done. The last time a, a team from a lower division won it was 1999. It was the Rochester Rhinos who uh, lifted the trophy. I think the last time a finalist was 2008. I can't read my handwriting. There was a USL team. So this is pretty rare. And you guys went through all the California clubs. You knocked out the Galaxy. You knocked out the Earthquakes. You beat Sporting Kansas City. And, you know, it has a USL Cup. They peppered around maybe a semifinal. But to make a final... And a lot of people feel Sacramento is a really good shot here. Maybe even the favorite against an Orlando team that's been a bit inconsistent. But what was this run like? When did you know that this was – you guys had something pretty special here? Yeah, pretty quick. I got to back you up there. I This is the first I've heard of us being the favorite. Um, <laughs> I, I, I definitely not I heard that one. We this is the high, We're going up against a team that's won four straight in MLS. They've, they're playing at home, which they've played every game in this tournament at home. They've got every advantage in the book. Listen, I, for us, like, we love that role. We love being the underdog. We love and relish it. I think it's, you know, a very shocking thing. You've played like a favorite in some of these games. You've bullied some teams. No, I mean, our guys, it's been awesome to see because our guys haven't been afraid of the moment and they've, they've been very focused. They've stepped up to the challenge each time they've been asked to. And that's a huge credit that that's usually doesn't happen, right? Like the, you know, the guys might get scared or they might, you know, kind of coil at the, you know, when the opportunity comes, but our guys haven't, they've really stepped up and this isn't just lightning in a bottle. We've, you know, hit a hot streak and off we go. This is a five and a half month tournament. I mean, we've been going at this now for virtually our entire season. This isn't, you know, which is part of why it's so challenging and why it never really happens is because this does, this started in April. Uh, we were the Goliath in the early rounds and playing teams in lower divisions beneath us. And those were not easy games. It took us to, you know, right to the death to beat Central Valley Fuego League One team uh, you know, brand new team. And it was a really tough day for us. Uh, but we got past that. And then we played Phoenix rising, who's kind of the best, you know, ha has been sure. the top USL team for the last several years, uh, and got over the hump with them, you know, at home in a two zero win. And, and then it was on to the MLS teams. Like you said, first the earthquakes, we've never beaten them in the open cup, never played them at home. Uh, always played at their place, but, you know, had an opportunity to, to play them. And I think this speaks to our market. You know, we had two weeks to sell that game from from beating Phoenix. It was a midweek, you know, Wednesday game in May, and we sold the thing out. I mean, it just spoke to what our market is about and kind of reminded me and everybody else uh, who's watching why Sacramento got on the soccer map in the first place. It's because we have a crazy, awesome uh, fan base that, 
you know, loves the team and loves the sport and comes out and supports the heck out of it. So that was, you know, seeing that, that was, that was special. And be, if you were there for that night, it was the round of 16. It was, it was an, a memorable one. And I think that was the major turning point um, where we really kicked on and, and realized, you know, Hey, this is, we've got a pathway here. And of course our reward was going to LA galaxy, you know, about a, you know, a few weeks or a month later, um, you know, but it was, that was kind of the the turning point where we realized, Hey, there's, there's a, there's a way, there's a way through here. And that was on the road. And I, again, you're going to be on the road in Orlando. Uh, this will be obviously the, the, the toughest test and you're right. I'm going to, I'm going to pull it back and Orlando are the favorites, but a lot of folks they're tuning in because they know Sacramento Republic have come in here to compete and win, especially if you can get to this point, you could certainly finish the job, but we shall see. I want ask you about your fans because it's drawing around 10 K a game. So there is a real love affair for the sport and this club where you are. So, I mean, developing that can't be easy, but now you, uh, what is the key to that? Cause you, obviously there's interest there, but you've got to connect the dots a lot here. Yeah, no, it, it was now this was lightning in a bottle when Sacramento first, you know, long before I came to the club, the club started in 2014 and that's what opened people's eyes was 20,000 fans, you know, at the first, I think two or three Republic games in history. It was like, Whoa. And this is in 2014. Where did that come from? You know, there was maybe one, maybe two MLS teams that were drawing those kind of numbers. Um, you know, it was, it was incredible. And you know, that over time, like that was the instant moment where I was like, Hey, MLS, like this is an MLS market. What are we doing? And from that point, it was sort of focused on MLS and getting MLS. That was everything. And, um, you know, and rightly so like that, that was, it, it made sense. And, you know, ultimately it made sense for MLS too. And, you know, when that happened, we, you know, had a parade on Capitol mall and 12, you know, 12,000 people showed up nothing like that had ever happened for a, an expansion announcement. Um, you know, and then a year and a half later, uh, you know, it, it, uh, you know, it didn't happen and our investor, you know, walked away. And for us, that was, you know, an incredible gut check moment. It was, you know, for our fan base, they were like, what next, you know, but nobody, uh, I think the first question was what's going to happen to the club. And at that point, our owner, Kevin Nagel, uh, who is, has been our owner throughout this entire process, has you know stepped up and said, "Hey, team's not going anywhere. We got this, and I got this." And that was all we needed, and that was all the fan base needed to say, "Hey, like we're going to support the heck out of this team, no matter what league they're in." And that's what they've done. And this year, I think the Open Cup tournament has sort of reinvigorated that energy, and we've seen those sellout crowds and that energy and that excitement. Uh, from that fan base um, that's always been there, but I think has been waiting, you know, kind of waiting around. And I think that's what the club has been doing. That's ever since I came, we've been waiting. Uh, and so this past off season, we, we came to a pretty critical juncture where we said, Hey, what are we going to do here? Are we going to, you know, fold up shop? Or are we going to, you know, that was never going to be the option. It was all right. We need to focus on getting a winning team, have a good product on the field. And, let's build our stadium. Let's build our stadium regardless of what happens. And so those were the two things that we set out to do. And, um, you know, certainly from a team standpoint, we're tracking well and, you know, in an open cup final and, you know, in position to host a playoff game and, 
uh, in the league and and on the stadium front, we're pushing forward with that with the city officials and the mayor's office and, you know, really working hard to, to get that over the line to have a downtown stadium in Sacramento, which uh, is going to be huge for everybody. Well, see, I want to be up there for the groundbreaking and we will uh, we'll have a nice a, a champagne cheers when that happens. But that's done. done. <laughs> your point about, you know, the MLS hopes diminishing, that is, you know, it's a traumatic moment. And I, I can't even imagine all the work that was put in to see that all go away because we're pretty close. It was pretty close to getting to the point of no return where it's you're in and you're going to be competing. So obviously the rug being pulled out must have been a very difficult pill to swallow. And the fact that you were able to bounce back um, and you obviously said the, the owner and so many other people involved gave the vote of confidence and were able to let people know that this is still sustainable and there's still targets we're going to do, albeit not in MLS. Um, was there a moment for you that you felt all, this is all collapsing. This is not this, this dream of building this club in the city it may not get to where we wanted to go. It was a massive shock, no doubt about it. Cause we, we weren't just in the club, like we or up close to being in the club. Like we were, we were in, we <laughs> you were, were in you were there. Like we were picking out yeah, uniforms, <laughs> everything, everything. Um, and so when it didn't happen, no one had ever seen anything like that, knew what to do. So we did uh, the only thing we, we knew how to do. And that was go back to our identity. Like, what are we about as a club? What, what are our, what are our core values? And it just so happens that Sacramento, you know, is known for being the indomitable city. And that means no matter what comes your way, you know, you're going to be resilient. You're going to, you know, be ready for that adversity and you're going to meet it head on. So, Hey, let's, let's go back to who we are. And this is what we're about. If anyone's built to, you know, persevere through something like this, it's, it's Sacramento and, and the Republic. So that's what we focused in on and said, Hey, that this is who we are. And this is you know, what we're built to, to do. And, you know, here we are, you know, a year and a half later in this position and in, in the open cup, um, you know, making headlines for all the right reasons and for reasons on the field, which I love, because there's been so much talk about things that are out of our control and, you know, frankly, out of uh, the city's control. Uh, now this is something that we're doing that is making, you know, international news. Like that is, that is really cool for, for everyone that's put a heck of a lot of work into this. I love how you rep Sac Sacramento uh, and obviously you have ties up in NorCal and some here in SoCal and uh, you're the California kid Todd. So that's uh, that's tremendous. But, but when, when you would hear Sacramento, you, people would roll their eyes and go, ah, I'd, I'd rather not go to Sacramento. I've had the, the good fortune of going to Sacramento on a couple occasions recently. And I was really impressed with the downtown and the people. And we went to the new stadium that the Kings had and that was unbelievable. I mean, it was one of the best stadium stadiums I've ever arenas I have ever seen. And now you have the Kings and you have Sacramento Republic. You're building a, a nice downtown uh, sports force, which uh, is, is great for cities because uh, it gets people out together in downtown. But I mean, there, there's that perception of Sacramento. I'm sure you've dealt with it. But what is what's something we need to know about the city that may be a misconception or, or something that. Uh, you would encourage people to come visit Sacramento about in addition to checking out a Republic game. Yeah, there's, there's so much. It's funny, you know, cause I, I know where you're, where you're uh, taking this call from. I got, you know, several friends from LA would ask me like, what do you, what do you do? When I first moved to Sacramento, what do you do? Like, what, what do you do in Sacramento? What do you do for like, fun? What do you, right. What do you, what do you, what do you mean? What do I do? Like, what do you do? 
Um, and what do you do? <laughs> there's there's plenty. I mean, it's crazy. Like, there's so many things to do in Sacramento. Like, we love. It. We have a we have three kids, and it is such a great place to raise a family. You know, our street, uh, you know, is incredible. We have a bunch of kids on the street. Everybody pours out into the street. Six o'clock. You know, I'll get home and. Uh, all the kids are in the street. Adults are chatting. Like I've never lived in a place like that. Like it is yeah, really cool. We, I've you know, never it's lived like, in a place like that. I always wanted to live in a place like that. Yeah. And it's got that. And you know, there's a big park that like our neighborhood is surrounded by, you know, like a central kind of mile long park and everybody just goes there and hangs out. And like, it is not, you know, it's very low key, very laid back, good people. Um, you know, friendly people. I've heard it described as the Midwest of California. And I think it's a pretty good, pretty good analogy because it's just friendly, good people. And, but it's still California. So you got great weather. You're, you know, an hour and a half from Tahoe. You're an hour and a half from San Francisco. You're an hour from Napa. Uh, you know, you name all these incredible, like some of the best places on earth. Uh, you're right there. And then you've got, you know, two rivers and all kinds of stuff. There's, there's plenty to do. There's no shortage of things to do. And um, yeah, we've, we've loved living there. Todd Donovan, GM of the Sacramento Republic and also head of the Tourism Bureau uh, for the city of Sacramento. <laughs> and yeah, like you said, the, you have the Sierra Nevadas, you have a lot of outdoor stuff. And I love how you said Tahoe first. You must be a skier or a gambler. I mean, Tahoe is like the prettiest place on earth. Uh, honestly, it is incredible there. I was up there a couple months ago and it was, it was so good right before the 4th of July. I mean, it's such a nice spot. I've never been. Underutilized. I got to get, I really? yeah, that's, You've never I've been? never been. Uh, I oh. got to get up there. And you're, like you said, I want to go for a, a ski trip because I hear the snow there's amazing. I'm not no hell racing skier, but I do like to get, I like to, re to relax, get on the mountain, go on a nice long run all the way down. And I hear that Lake Tahoe's uh, has Take that. The, Take the electric bike over there. I'll tell you what, you can, there's biking trails. We're talking about our electric around. bike. <laughs> I said I ride my electric bike because people give me grief when I mention I got an electric bike. Well, why don't you use your regular bike? I go, because when I want to go out, I, I look at that bike, I go, I don't want to go up that hill. But the electric bike, I can go up the hill. So I'll do it. So I'll, yeah. And also you can maybe get a pontoon and sit on the lake all day and do nothing. Man, we're yeah. selling, we're selling some Sacramento tickets right here. <laughs> we have the Delta no, yeah, Airlines like from LA Direct going to be very pleased. I mean, Tahoe has got this like huge, amazing lake. And then it's just surrounded by like, you know, really steep mountains coming out of it. Uh, it's, it's awesome. It's yes. awesome. You got to go. You gotta it's go. on the list. On your list. I've actually checked a lot off the list, a lot off the list in the, the last couple of years in California. Cause that's, you know, everyone says, Oh, the taxes are here are crazy. And go, well, you, the California taxes, you have all these national parks, you have all these incredible things and places you can go to. So that's why you live here. And uh, as much as I'd love to go somewhere else where maybe the taxes aren't so bad, the idea of leaving this state is just a non-starter. I got to be somewhere. We'll see. I'm with you. I'm with you. I well, like I, it. I got way off track here, but let's circle back on this team. Such a compelling group of players for what they've been able to do. Um, and you mentioned the path to go through these California teams and what it meant to beat the earthquakes and what it meant to win at the Galaxy. Uh, I was reading this article about Rodrigo Lopez, 35-year-old, who's been grinding his career. He mentions living paycheck to paycheck that many times. A lot of these guys, we know the USL, there's uh, limitations with the budgets. And 
it's sometimes hard to make ends meet. It's getting better, I know, which is great news because these are professional athletes and you want to make them whole. I also read, and you can correct me this, correct if I, me if I am wrong on this, but there were 16 new players in the offseason. So that's about that's right. So that falls, I mean, that's the general manager's duties. So there was a big turnover and it's led to a success. So when you, maybe the launching point is when you started building this squad, what, what were the things you were looking for in getting the right players, the right personalities together? Yeah, the biggest thing I think is the last thing you said, the personalities and getting guys with the right character. Uh, you know, we felt like we'd kind of, the cycle on our previous group, you know, it sort of ran its course. We didn't make the playoffs last year for the first time in club history. So it was time to, you know, really refresh and, you know, coincided well with, you know, the idea of moving the club forward and, you know, pushing ahead. So we wanted, you know, guys that had our club values. And so we recruited heavily on that. We did a lot of work on references and character and, you know, sort of, the player's history and ability to win games, uh, sim simple as it sounds, um, you know, and merge that a little bit with with that some of the data analytics things that you know the eye maybe doesn't catch, but uh, what do the numbers say? So we tried to merge up those two things, and I worked closely with Mark Briggs, our head coach, on that. Uh, you know, we we put this group together, and um, you know, I think we got more right than we got wrong, fortunately, and. It's been, I think from day one, we felt like we had a really good cast of characters and good group. And, uh, you know, I think to your point, 16 new players on a roster of 21 is is pretty uh, significant. Um, so there was always going to be some ups and downs, but, it, you know, big credit to Mark and the staff and the team for coming together so quickly to, you know, make this make this season what it's been. And all of this obviously is a, a very delicate time because of coming out of COVID where I, I, I stop, I talk to my family, I talk to friends and it, sometimes it feels like it never happened. I know it did, but it was like such a surreal couple of years and our lives changed and to, to build something that you have coming off these two years uh, is, is, as you said, it's pretty significant. It's, it's hard to, to fathom. You don't know if we're going to have another, a strain, another, another outbreak or what have you, but you've, this pandemic certainly put a, has changed the way team building and what we were able to do. How did you manage that? And how big of a, how big of a, a barrier was it to get over to, to get to where you wanted to be as a club? Well, I think actually, you know, funny you mentioned COVID because, you know, these, this core identity, these core values that we're talking about, we spent a lot of time on that. Um, myself, Mark Briggs, and our then Academy Director, Dennis Sanchez, we really spent some of the dark days of COVID on Zoom, uh, you know, going over what our, what our club identity would be and, you know, what is it and how do we want to shape it? And uh, there was so much already built in, but I think as we kind of codified that and made it, you know, very tangible, uh, and simplify it. And, you know, it's a lot of work, like the end product that you see, it's kind of like a logo, you know, when a new logo comes out, people are like, oh, you know, but they don't realize that 2000 hours went into it. Um, that was huge because I think that gave us our, you know, foundation and our, and our identity. So everything we've done since has kind of been related to that. And I think Mark 
to your point with COVID, like he, his first season with us was 2020, which, you know, was obviously a, you know, a real <laughs> toss up with, with COVID and the amount of things that happened there. 2021 was now the season, you know, where our investor steps away. So this was the first year that he's, you know, had a squad in a quote unquote kind of normal uh, season. And, um, you know, we were able to, you know, take that, take those values, take that identity and and really make it a tangible thing because in the tough times, that's what you lean on. And that's not something we just wanted to toss these up. And you see that often and it's like, Hey, you know, here's, here's who we are, but we genuinely wanted to live it and have players that, you know, represented it. So it's not an easy thing to do, but it was sort of the, the core thing for how we wanted to build the roster. And, uh, there's obviously a lot of specifics to go into that, but I think that was that's the overarching theme of of how we how we did it. So now you have this final Wednesday night. You're in Orlando. Uh, how are the guys looking? This is obviously I, there's got to be a lot of nerves because as I, as I pointed out, this is a unique circumstance and an opportunity. I mean, the list goes on. Obviously, you win a trophy. Um, other things that come with that financially, a spot in the CONCACAF Champions League, which has to be ex- extremely exciting to even imagine Sacramento Republic playing a top team from MLS or Mexico in this tournament to be and, and possibly move on to a club World Cup, if one can dream that big. But obviously, we, we compartmentalize that. But what is it like right now in Orlando? We're hearing there's going to be 25,000 sold out at their stadium. and this is a huge occasion for them. And just if you could kind of put it all together, the atmosphere from your team's perspective and how you're seeing it in Orlando, just um, hours of, you know, hours away almost from kicking off one of the biggest, if not the biggest moment for the Sacramento Republic's club. Yeah, we've been preparing this for this game for six weeks. This is not uh, something that's crept up on us. Uh, we've known for a while we're playing Orlando in the final. So we've spent the last six weeks uh, kind of dual tracking it with obviously the league league play, but all, I think we've had nine nine league games in between these two games, uh, you know, and being ready for Orlando. So we've been laser focused on not the outcome and not the consequences of the game, like the, all the things you mentioned, um, but focusing on the details of, you know, how, how we're going to win. And I think that is a huge credit to, you know, Mark and, and the team for, for being able to do that. Our guys, you know, at this you know, like they, they're very loose. They're very, it's a different atmosphere and a different uh, kind of vibe from our group. And that served us well throughout the tournament. Our guys have, you know, always been able to rise to the challenge. And I think that's, that's certainly gonna, gonna be important when you're going up against 25,000 strong. We'll have a, at least a thousand of those, I think in, in uh-huh. red rather than purple. Um you know, and we'll travel well and our fans will be there. Our, our owner paid for our entire staff to come out and be part of this, oh. uh, which, is, which is massive. Uh, you know, so there's, we'll have a lot of support our, you know, back in Sacramento and, and we think in, in most places we'll have a lot of support, but in Sacramento, we'll have a couple, you know, big wash parties. And, uh, you know, I think again, be hearing those cheers all the way from, uh, you know, from Exploria. Yeah, it all started back in April, and it's 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 kind of a shock to the system because you're playing um, Central Valley, Fuego, Phoenix, San Jose, LA, and all of a sudden across the country to Orlando. So, I mean, that's going to be part of this as well that you're having this huge trip, but obviously you've had a lot of time to prepare for it. But it's going to be a very exciting 
moment. I know a lot of people that I've been talking to are excited about this game because of the finalists, because of the contrast, because of the Cinderella story. And uh, that's when sports are their best. So uh, Todd, I know we're excited to uh, to see your club get out there. And uh, I'm a West Coast guy. I got to keep my allegiances. So I hope Sacramento Republic lifts that trophy and be great for USL business. Before I let you go, do you, and I know I spoke to you off air about, look, you're, you guys are happy where you are. You're building within USL and we have this stadium and now we have this success and we're showing ambition. We have a great owner who he says, who does goes above and beyond to make sure that this team is in a successful position. If MLS comes around again, if there's something because they see how valuable the Sacramento market is, is that something that you guys even think about? Is that something that can happen? Yeah, we want to be ready for, you know, when good things could happen. And we think, you know, our tournament and our success in this tournament is going to lead to good things. We think building a stadium downtown is going to lead to good things. We're going to build that stadium so that it's expandable and we don't have to, you know, dig it up and start over again. We can, we can double the size of it without, you know, with, a, you know, kind of planning that uh, in advance. So that's, that's how we're thinking about it is let's give ourselves every opportunity to succeed. And that means building a smart stadium that, you know, is future proof and we can, we can add on to it. So, yeah, we, we think uh, good things are ahead for this club. We know good things are ahead for this club uh, regardless of how Wednesday goes and, you know, frankly, we're, we're just excited for the opportunity. It's a, it's going to be an awesome night. Uh, we've had so many memorable ones so far in this tournament. Uh, and we're looking forward to, you know, uh, our seventh match and making some more memories. So excited for you guys and so much going on with the Sacramento Republic. It's exciting. So if you had a chance, get out to Sacramento, go see a game there and uh, soak it all in. Todd Donovan, general manager and president, great player back in his day. He's won trophies. And now he wants his club to win, a, just like he did, a U.S. Open Cup. Thanks, Todd. Well, well, best of luck. We'll talk to you soon. Hopefully uh, Thank you, Max. over the phone with uh, some champagne being poured in a, in a U.S. Open Cup. Hey, we'll have you out for that stadium announcement, too. Can't, can't wait. But, no, always good to chat with you, Max, and let's, uh, let's do it again. Brilliant. Todd Donovan in the business end. We'll be back here in stoppage time as we discuss about the next great American player. I'll tell you who he is next. Time now for stoppage time here on the Soccer OG. And it was a rather bleak, that's a strong word, a rather uneventful weekend and Monday for U.S. International. Some bright spots out there, but we're, we're keeping tabs of it. There is a, a large volume of, of players that are in the mix, which is a, the most exciting part because that really gets me to the, the crux of the issue here that we don't have to rely so much on one or two players. Others may arise, and certainly ahead of 2026, new young players. I mean, Jack McGlynn, have you seen this kid at Philadelphia? Great midfielder, uses both feet. He is now thrust into the lineup for what is looks like the best team in Major League Soccer that wasn't allowing younger players in. Jack McGlynn got in there. So there's going to be future guys. I'm not saying it's going to be Jack McGlynn, but it's one after the other everywhere. So we've had some breakthroughs in the Premier League. We have the two Americans at Leeds United. We have the two Americans at Fulham. We have Christian Pulisic at Chelsea. He started this weekend. We have Weston McKinney at Juventus. He started, didn't really have a great game. Gio Reyna has have, has, hasn't really gotten off the ground his season. He did play a little bit this weekend. Sergio Dest 
heading to a new club. We'll see if he plays more there than he did at Barcelona. So nothing that just blows you away. You would like these guys to get as many minutes as possible. Some may, some may not. How will that affect them at the World Cup? Goalkeeping situation. I, I don't even want to look over there. Zach Steffen's nowhere to be found. Matt Turner still hasn't played. Then you have uh, Ethan Horvath, who is playing, but at Luton Town. Do you move him ahead? Do you think about Gaga Slonina, who's been very good as of late for the Chicago Fire, or Sean Johnson? My guess it's going to be Stefan and Matt Turner. We're so late in the game, you don't get you don't get experimental there. But there is a development that has made me rethink the pecking order of the best American players. Yunus Musa was a fringe midfielder, played 43 minutes a game for Valencia. He's a kid, so that's fine. You're 17, 18, you're, you're getting into the crux of a, a, a team with a great name. You know, Valencia likes, they're not going to Champions League, but they like to think that they can compete for them, and I think they can. Have switched a lot of managers now. They've gone big and got Reno Gattuso, a big name in the management fields. So now you have Yunus Moose at the age of 19. And he had a great preseason. Four games into the new season, he's averaging 80 minutes a game. He went a full 90 here. He is doing great. He's getting better every game. There's no doubt about it. This past week against Getafe, and I know it's Getafe, relegation candidate. He had two assists. He created three chances. He had 100% accurate crossing. He had 100% dribbles won. He, uh, the two assists were otherworldly. The first one in particular, where he just dropped this little rainbow out of the sky. And there was, uh, you know, everything went through him. The manager likes him a lot. So he has gone from a fringe midfielder to, you could say, two or three, maybe the four more important players for Valencia. Milan is now sending scouts over to take a look at him. I think bigger clubs are going to come. And playing in Spain, maybe a club like Real Madrid. Yunus Musa has become our best player. He may become our most important player. He, he's moved to a more central role, and he has just exploded into that position. He plays a technical level. He... He can be very offensive. He can help out defensively. He is an all-round midfielder. But the fact that he can hit balls in there like a Luka Modric, like a Paul Pogba in his prime, Arturo Vidal, these guys that are big-name midfielders. Yunus Musa is headed there. You find a guy his age playing this well, the list is very short. And he is a physical and athletic specimen. And then he has all the technical skills and now he has the confidence and he has a coach that believes in him. So uh, we watched Christian Pulisic and he played, he started, he's a step in the right direction. Chelsea now played Champions League, he'll get more minutes. While we move towards that, and again, commercials everywhere now for the World Cup. Remember, we're getting between two and three months away. So it's, uh, he is going to be the poster boy. Maybe Brendan Aronson or uh, Serginho Dest. By the way, I mentioned some of the guys, Reyna, Dest, Pulisic, McKenney, McKenney's had injury issues. Uh, Tim Weah, we haven't heard a peep from him. Thank goodness for Yunus Musa. I get the feeling he is going to have a great free kick goal at the World Cup. He's going to have a couple big moments. He is going to be a matchup problem. He is a star in the making. He could be that 
that first player. Now, Christian Pulisic won a Champions League, but he could be the first guy that is a big-time star on a Champions League team, lifting a trophy. He has, uh, I mean, this was the best performance by him by a long shot. And this was after he played Atletico, where he had a goal disallowed, which could have been a goal of the year candidate. I'm still counting it as a goal, so to speak, when I'm grading Yunus Musa. But he did that, then he has the two assists. I know after this, he's probably going to take a dip. But you have to love how you see it. And when you compare it to all the profiles of all the players with the World Cup looming, Yunus Musa to me, and you get excited about him playing alongside Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney, that trio becomes a lot better. And that becomes one of the strongest midfields at that World Cup, potentially. It's fantastic. It's fantastic to see what has happened there. And just, I like him staying at Valencia. And let's see what he can do. But he is going to be a household name here soon. He's going to have a huge World Cup. I am 100% convinced of it. Because he's going to play a, an important role in creating chances. Getting that really exciting attacking players involved. Whether it's Pulisic. I mean, this could be, him playing in the middle could be a game changer for that number nine. And Josh Sargent scoring goals now. Jesus Ferreira looks like a guy I think could really benefit from a Yunus Musa playing right behind him. Game-changing moment. Leeds United have lost back-to-back -back games. And, you know, Brendan Aronson and Tyler Adams were talk of the town. NBC were moving the Leeds games to their number one window. And now it's kind of hit a patch. And they lost to Brentford 5-2. Um, it's, it's tricky for Leeds. I still think they'll be okay. They may finish 12th or 13th, but they won't get relegated. The Premier League is just too, it's too competitive and too deep. You know, teams at the bottom are signing players willy-nilly. West Ham was in last place. They signed Lucas Paqueta, Newcastle signing players. Nottingham Forest have signed about 15 players. Uh, you know, Leicester are at the bottom. I mean, that's the team that won the, the Premier League title just five, six years ago. They're all going to spend more money because there's money there. So Leeds United, and this will be interesting what they do in the winter market, have to stay competitive. They need defensive help. They need Patrick Bamford to be healthy. They're losing some options there. Rodrigo's out injured. And when that happens, you can see they're not a very deep team. I think also Jesse Marsh has to mind his behavior on the sideline too. We have a lot of managers behaving badly in the Premier League. And he it's every week for him. And it's fine. But when you start losing, the histrionics get old and fans will turn on him. If he gets red carded like he did this weekend in a bad spot, it, will, it can happen really quick. So we've got to keep an eye on Leeds. Hopefully Rodrigo's back soon. He had a separated shoulder. I think it's going to be a few more weeks. Brendan Aronson and Tyler Adams have done well, but they have to keep lifting their standard. Bamford, uh, Daniel James, whoever, and the central defenders have to really... You can't give up five goals. This is Marcelo Bielsa ball again. So tread with caution. But all in all, you know, we had Celtic Rangers. You had three Americans playing in the old firm derby. You had uh, Josh Sargent, a goal and two assists. I think they counted as two assists, helping become a big-time player for Norwich. He has five goals in five games, Josh Sargent, in the, uh, in the championship. That's uh, tied for second. Some good guys brewing in. Josh, Brian Reynolds got a game. Brian Reynolds got a start. Reggie Cannon playing well for a team that's in fifth in Portugal. Uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Sam Vines playing every minute for a Royal Antwerp side that has won seven out of seven games. But the brightest spot, without question, this season, 
happened on Sunday. Yunus Musa in Valencia. I'll be watching more Valencia games. I enjoy seeing Reno Gattuso. I enjoy hearing the announcer's name mention Hugo Dudo, the striker, which translates to hard, hero, hard Hugo. It's funny. Makes me makes me chuckle. Soccer OG. Check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Pretos. Check out all the Soccer OG podcasts where all podcasts are available. Always great to chat with you. I hope you had a great Labor Day weekend. Until next time, Placido Domingo.